following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Good morning. All right, we're looking this morning in Matthew chapter 15, and um, we'll read together uh, verses 1 through 20. All right, chapter Matthew 15, verses 1 through 20. The Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He asked them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But if you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has planted will not be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But whatever comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Uh, Give me one second. So I turned my computer off. I created for myself all kinds of problems. Okay, there we go. That's better. Um, Several years ago, quite a few years ago now, I was doing a training for a group of missionaries. There were, I don't know, a hundred some people. And we were kind of doing some uh, icebreaker activities to, you know, get people warmed up and thinking. And so one of the things that we did is we had people, we would ask a question, and then people would divide themselves to one side of the room or the other, depending on how they answered the question. It was kind of a fun game. And one of the questions, so this is a group of primarily full-time Christian workers, right, missionaries of some sort or another, and um, one of the questions we asked was, uh, are you, uh, are you, how do you feel about rules, right? Are rules something that, uh, that need to be followed strictly, or are rules kind of optional suggestions that you may or may not follow, right? Because it's a group of missionaries, 
And uh, most of the questions at this point, the, the crowd had been kind of evenly 50-50. Like, are you introverted, extroverted, kind of 50-50. But this one, 90% of them went one direction. Guess which direction? How many think they were rule followers? No, actually, the other way. 90% said, no, we are not rule followers. Uh, we think rules are optional, at best just suggestions. I was a little surprised by that, actually. Uh, where would you, so if you were, we don't have space or time, but if we were to do that today, uh, where would you put yourself? Would you put you on the side of rule followers who need to strictly follow the rules or those who think rules are somewhat optional? Um, and this, this illustrates that uh, we all have and we all live by a certain ethical principle. Now, these missionaries were not saying that they didn't care about any rules at all. They weren't, they weren't saying that it's okay to murder or commit adultery. <laughs> I don't think they would go that far. Um, but it, it, it does say a lot about their, their ethical principle, the system by which they govern their lives. And uh, we may think that ethics is a topic for like philosophers, and maybe we had to go through some kind of ethics class in school, and mostly we left that conf- class confused. But really, ethics is, is, is simply uh, the moral principles that govern a person's behavior uh, or the, their conduct, right? The ethical principle that governs their behavior, their choices. And the reality is that everybody makes ethical choices about what they think is right or wrong uh, and how we uh, do or do not follow rules or what, what it is that helps us make decisions about what we think is right. Uh, one thing we know about human beings, whatever their rules are as a, as a, as a truth, people will not do um, long-term what they know is wrong. Now, they'll fall, even sinners, they'll, they'll do things they know are wrong, but they don't feel good about it, right? So either they'll justify it and they'll say, well, it really wasn't wrong in the first place, or they'll conform their behavior so that they live differently, right? So ethics are important, um, and... Um, uh, for all of these missionaries, for all of us, we are governed by some kind of moral code or principle. Um, and and it, in this account, uh, this is all about ethics. It's about the ethical principles of the Pharisees versus the ethical principle that Jesus lived by and taught. And as it turns out, they're very different. What Jesus, uh, the ethics of Jesus and the ethics of the Pharisees turn out to be vastly different. Um, uh, the Pharisees, uh, if they, we were to do this exercise, maybe the Pharisees would certainly have gone to the side of avid rule followers. Right? They were people who took the rules and regulations very seriously. And they were convinced that, uh, that theirs was the only right way to live. Um, and uh, to really understand what's going on here, it's not that like we would sometimes look back from our New Testament perspective at the Pharisees, and we would say, well, they were all just legalistic, right? Clearly, they were wrong. And we know that because Jesus condemned them, and so we've got Jesus on our side. But do we really know why Jesus condemned them? Right? Do you really know why Jesus said they were wrong? And here's, the, here's the, the hard thing. The Pharisees were committed to a life of holiness. Like They really believed that it was important When God said in the Old Testament, be holy as I am holy, they took that seriously. And they they felt that their approach was uh, the way that they could be holy people. Now, now if I were to ask you, 
should you be holy? Like if I had divided that room by that question, could Christians be a people who live holy lives or unholy lives? And that gets a lot easier. I think I would hope 100% would say that we need to live holy lives. Because the Bible makes it very clear, both Old Testament and New Testament. Be holy, God says, as I am holy. And that, that's what the Pharisees thought they were doing. They believed that their ethical system was the way to be a holy people. Right? Um, but as we see in this account, Jesus shows, uh, points out a major flaw in their, in their system. And he shows that what they're actually doing cannot lead to a holy life. That you cannot actually achieve the holiness God requires uh, by their approach. Right? Uh, and it's relevant for us because Christians in every age uh, are at risk of doing the exact thing the Pharisees did. Okay? Oftentimes with the best incentive to live a holy life. Uh, and we would change the rules. Like for us, it wouldn't be about not eating pork or eating pork. We kind of all know we can eat pork, right? But we, we substitute different rules. But it's the same ethical system. It's the same method that's flawed from the beginning. And it's radically different from what Jesus taught. So let's look at um, both the flawed system of the Pharisees as well as uh, how Jesus teaches a very different uh, moral governing principle by which we live our life or where he calls us to live our life. So the, the backdrop of this, Jesus has just been doing all kinds of miracles, healing people. In the passage, the verses before, it says, when, when they crossed over, they came into the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent uh, around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might uh, just touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. So here's Jesus doing uh, these incredible miracles. And uh, as we talked about last week, this group of people who are his disciples. We talked last week that these are people that were, were not the good soil. They, they weren't understanding Jesus' teaching. They weren't dedicating their lives to be true followers of Christ. And yet, uh, Jesus has amazing compassion for them. He loves these people. And in spite of their lack of understanding, he still heals them. Uh, uh, and, and he takes care of them. But then out of the blue, it says in verse 15, uh, chapter 15, verse 1, the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem. And this is kind of a first. Jesus has had encounters with scribes and Pharisees before, but they were local Galilean uh, scribes and Pharisees. Now, there's a delegation sent from Jerusalem. And of course, Jerusalem was the religious center of Israel. It's where the temple was, and it's where like all the big guns of religion were. And so to get a delegation from Jerusalem, this is a big deal, right? And these guys are important, and they come uh, bearing a lot of weight in what they say, and they really become, uh, as, the, as the religious experts, as the spokespeople for the true religion of Israel, they think, right? And uh, they come and they ask a question, but really they're not asking Jesus a question, they're actually accusing Jesus, they just do it in the cloaked form of a question. Um, and then the question is simply this. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Now, for most of us, when we read this, we're like, okay, these guys came all the way from Jerusalem. These are like the big guns. These guys come with all this weight and pomp and authority. 
And the big discussion here is not the Trinity, not like the authority of Scripture. The, the question at, at hand is washing hands. It's like, what? And that's because for us, washing hands is something you, know, you do before you eat, um, which I only actually ever did when I was at my grandma's house, because my grandma was a fanatic. And I didn't realize until this year why, right? And uh, this year it all came together for me. My grandma lived through the Spanish flu, right? And it's like, oh, yeah, that whole flu thing, right? Uh, she, but handy washing, her house was a big deal. The rest of the time, uh, yeah, I was too much of a backpacker. Uh, it was not that important to me, right? So, so we see this and we think, these guys came all the way to, to Jesus, and their big question was, you guys are not washing your hands before you eat. Like, naughty, shame on you, right? Well, there's a lot more to, obviously, this question than we may understand. Um, uh, and uh, it, it was not just a minor thing. It was a huge thing. Uh, and, and pitted against this, he says, uh, they say, and they, they don't even, they're not even embarrassed about this claim, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? And what was the tradition of the elders? Well, it was... It was uh, Oral tradition, at this point, it hadn't been written down yet. Uh, about a hundred years later, it would be written into a code, into an ethical code. Uh, and essentially, it was an effort to interpret and, imply the, and apply the law. Interpret and apply the law of Moses. Uh, and the, the, the reality is they wanted to follow the law of Moses to the utmost detail. But sometimes the law was confusing and some, somewhat vague. Sometimes the law could actually uh, seem to contradict itself. And so they had to interpret the meaning. And uh, they would apply it to many different scenarios. Right? And so they really developed this tradition as a way to interpret the law so that they could be sure and careful that they were following it perfectly. Uh, so in the, in the law of Moses, it never prescribed hand-washing. Nowhere in, the, in the, all the commandments does it say, Thou shalt wash thy hands before thy eat thy food. Right? That is not one of the Ten Commandments or one of the other commandments. Uh, but they had uh, developed this, um, probably relating to uh, laws about defilement, that it was a way to make sure they dealt with any contaminations that they may have actually done so that they would be safe uh, and uh, not break the law. Uh, and they believed that, that these traditions, the application of the law, was the only way, the only path to holiness. Like if you were going to be a holy person, you had to follow their interpretation of the law. Uh, and they didn't initially intend for it to replace or be above the law. They would have uh, argued, no, we're just interpreting the law so that we're careful to uh, observe it. So they, they believed, sincerely, that they were keeping the, the commands of God. And they were doing it by following these traditions. Uh, but in time, uh, any time uh, something interprets something else, it runs the risk of having authority over it. Right? And that's exactly what happened. Soon the tradition came to have the same weight and authority as the very command, the very word of God. And so uh, Jesus replies to them, he doesn't answer their question. He doesn't defend the behavior of his disciples, which, by the way, uh, the attack on the disciples was an attack on Jesus. 
They were saying, clearly you are a faulty teacher because you are not teaching the true path of holiness. Right? So your, your disciples are not honoring the traditions. Uh, they must be breaking the commandments. They cannot be walking in a path of holiness. And therefore, Jesus, you are defective. Your ministry is flawed. Uh, so what does Jesus say to all that? Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't explain why they don't wash their hands. Instead, he accuses them. He turns the tables on them and he says this, Why do you uh, for this, uh, break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Right? Um, he turns everything upside down on them. And he quotes here an example. And the example comes from the fifth commandment and the ten commandments. And the fifth commandment is, You shall honor your father and mother. It was a very serious commandment. It wasn't just one of the generic other commandments. It was in the ten, like in the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. So this is a very foundational, fundamental, important commandment. Right? And not only that, but Jesus goes on to quote the penalty for breaking this commandment. Right? The penalty, he says, is um, uh, whoever reviles, that is, dishonors their father or mother, must surely die. Because when the Old Testament disobeying your parents, uh, being disrespectful to your parents, was punishable by death. Of course, uh, now this didn't mean like if you did it once, you would you know, face the death penalty. But if your lifestyle was one of disrespecting, dishonoring your parents, it was such a serious commandment that the, the penalty for that was death. Death penalty. Right? Uh, boy, that would change our parenting style, wouldn't it? <laughs> listen, <laughs> this is what's coming. If you, don't, if you don't listen up, right? That's a whole different level. Um, all I have to say, this is showing the, 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 the incredible weight of this commandment. Right? It's a serious command. But he goes on with his illustration. He says, but you say, your interpretation, your tradition is this, that if anyone tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he does not need to honor his father, father or mother, for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. So this is what this meant. A little confusing to us, but he, he says there's a, there's a loophole. You guys have exploited a loophole. You have found and twisted the law to come up with a loophole. And the loophole was this. The law also said that if you made a vow and you dedicated something to God, that uh, you had to give it to God. So some very self-centered people... Uh, uh, use this as a loophole, and what they did, they did is this. They said, well, you know that cow that I could sell and give uh, to pr- support my parents? It just so happens that I'm going to give one day, someday, sooner or later, I'm going to give that, that as an offering to God because I'm so religious and I'm so pious and, uh, and I have set that apart uh, for God, Right? Now, it didn't mean that you were going to give it right then. In fact, it may, mean that you, it may not mean that you ever gave it. But you decided that someday you would. Right? And now you no longer had to... Uh, in fact, the law, according to their tradition, actually forbade you from selling or using that cow to in any way benefit your parents because it could only benefit God. Of course, the loophole was this. It could benefit them personally in the meantime. Like they could use the cow, they could milk the cow, they could use it to plow, they could, they could uh, do whatever they wanted with the cow, right? And maybe they would never give it to God. But as long as it had been set apart for that potential purpose, uh, 
it was hands-off for your parents. Right? So people who were selfish, who, who wanted to exploit the law in this loophole, uh, would, would do nothing to help their parents because they said, well, I've just dedicated all those things to God. Right? And as a way to get out of keeping the commandment. And uh, as it turns out, the scribes and Pharisees upheld this interpretation. The oral tradition supported that view. That's right. You don't have to give it to your parents because you have committed it to God. And Jesus says, look, you, you have made the very word of God void. You've canceled out the very commandment of God by your tradition. Right? You are taking uh, this very important commandment of God and you've said it's not important. And you don't have to follow it because of your interpretation. So the very tradition that was meant to interpret and apply the commands to help them live out God's commandment appropriately had now been used against the very commandment as an excuse to not follow it. Uh, and of course, that was flawed. <laughs> and we see that. And, and uh, they would have had no answer to that. Right? Jesus says, you have made the very word of God uh, void, empty. Uh, you've canceled it out. Um, so, so, so that's a, a problem, right? Um, and it's a problem with this issue of hand-washing, but it really goes much deeper than that. Uh, it really has to do with their whole ethical system. And what Jesus is illustrating by this one example, he's showing the fault or flaw of their whole ethical system. And, and here is the practical problem. Um, it was true that sometimes the law could seem to work against itself. Like, so, for example, making a vow meant it had to be given to God, uh, even if it could benefit your parents. And so genuinely, genuine people who were sincere could feel themselves caught between uh, these different uh, understandings of the law, different pieces of the law that seemed to contradict each other. Um, and so they would find themselves in the midst of an ethical dilemma. Right? You know what an ethical dilemma is? Where, where there's two paths... And they both seem right, but they contradict each other. So if I choose this path, I'm, I'm neglecting that, that, that side of the law. If I, if I follow this side of the law, I'm neglecting that part. That's what an ethical dilemma is. Um, and, and, and here's the problem. Anytime you have an ethical code that results in any kind of ethical dilemma, it's proof that your ethics are flawed. Right? Say it again. Anytime you have an ethical dilemma, right, where, where you can't fulfill the law, it's proof that you have a faulty ethics. That your ethics are based on the wrong thing. Uh, and, and the thing is, God's law is perfect. God's law was perfect. It could not contradict itself. So the problem is not in the law. The problem was in their understanding, their ethical system, how they were applying and understanding and applying it. Right? Uh, have any of you felt yourself caught between, in, in the midst of an ethical dilemma? Have you ever been there? Right? We can feel that. Well, uh, I want to challenge you. I think Jesus would challenge you that the problem is not those laws that seem to contradict, but it's our understanding, our, our, our ethical code, our ethical system that we are following. And, and there's basically two kinds of, of ethics that Jesus con compares here. The first is what, uh, and Jesus doesn't call it this, but I'll call it this. 
is uh, the, the, the ethics of the Pharisees was essentially an ethics of rules. Right? And, and well, actually, I think they would say that. I'd say, yeah, that's what ethics are. It's rules, right? An ethical system is being governed by a list of, of rules, of regulations. And in this kind of ethic, uh, the law or the rule is the highest value. It's the most important thing. And everything is about keeping those regulations. Okay, Honestly, most schools operate this way. I'm not going to name schools, but it's kind of how schools kind of have to work, right? It's all about the rules. Anybody amen on that? Say that. Schools are all about the rules, right? And I don't know if it's good, bad, or otherwise, but that's just kind of how it works, right? There's rules, and, and that becomes kind of the highest principle that matters most. You, you have to follow the rules, right? Uh, and, and when you come to these ethical dilemmas where it's confusing, then the way you solve that is you create more rules, right? And that's exactly what the traditions had done. Where there were contradictions, where there was confusion, where there were these ethical dilemmas, they just wrote more rules that explained it, that tried to unravel the dilemma. But in so doing, Jesus illustrates you hadn't actually solved anything. Instead, you'd actually un, uh, contradicted the very law of God. Right? You weren't solving anything at all. Um, and so what's right, uh, what's right is, uh, sorry, back up. Uh, you, you, you need moral laws and codes to clarify what is right. And what is right means what is permissible or what is allowed. Okay, so when you live by an ethics of rules or regulations, you're always asking the question, what is permissible? What am I allowed to do? Right? And all the traditions were spelling out what was permissible and what was not permissible, what you could do and what you couldn't do. But no matter how much they tried, there were always loopholes. And that's the fundamental problem with an a ethic of rules. There are always, 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 always loopholes. There are always ways to exploit the law to get around it or to get what you want in spite of it. Because when the goal is simply to do what's right, to, to just keep the rule, then the only test is, uh, have I kept all the rules? Right? And this is why schools are governed by so many rules, because students are really good at finding loopholes. It's like, it's like maybe that's the best topic, maybe that's the best subject, maybe that's what we really learn at school is how to avoid the rules by reinterpreting them, right? By finding those loopholes. Um, but can that really be the purpose of the law? Can you really pursue holiness by saying, well, I have kept the law even though I found all these loopholes, right? Sure, I am I'm a holy person because even though I didn't honor my, my parents, I did the right thing. I kept the rule, right? Well, obviously, there's something wrong with that kind of ethics, right? Uh, a good practical example of this that maybe you wrestled with in some class in school, but it's, it's this whole thing. Was it right for Corey Ten Boom and all the others who helped Jews escape from uh, the Nazis? Was it right for them to lie? Well, if you, are, if you have an ethic of, of rules, then no, it was not right for them to lie, right? Because that is breaking the rule, right? Um, but, but is the alternative better? Sending those Jewish people to destruction? Well, well, as long as I keep the rules, it is, right? Well, that shows a flaw in, in the whole ethical system. And that's exactly where the, the, 
the Pharisees were. Their whole system was flawed. It wasn't just about washing hands. It was about the whole understanding of the law. Because it was, it was purely about keeping the rules. But God and Moses, and I think Jesus, had a very different ethical system. Right? They operated by a very different ethical principle. And that is what? Well, it is, a, it is an ethic not of rules, but an ethic of, you may know, love. Love, right? God operates on an ethic whose highest value, highest principle is not the rule, but is love, right? Love is doing what is best for the benefit and care of another human being. And, and ultimately, doing what is pleasing and honoring to God. That's how we love him. Right? That is the highest value. And the code, the written law, was simply a guide to help people know how to do that. Right? So the law was, what not, was, was not what was most important. What was most important was love. And the law was simply instructing us how to do that. What it looked like to love people. So when law is the highest principle, um, uh, can there really be any true dilemmas? Well, not really, because the simple question you always have to ask is, what is the most loving thing? What is the most loving thing? And that is the thing that we should do. That's the thing that is always right. And that, that's, that's, God's, that's God's ethic, right? God gave, him, gave his son to us because he loved us. Right? Not because he was keeping rules, but because his love for us, he gave up his own son. Right? That was the right thing to do. Um, so in the case of, uh, of, of the making a vow or honoring your parents, right? what's the more loving? The, law, uh, the, the vow was a voluntary gift given to God as a means of thanksgiving, uh, which was important, and it was a way that we could show God love. But honoring your parents was the, was, was the most foundational relationship and, and showing them honor, honor and respect was at the very core of what it meant to love your parents, right? uh, which obviously was more important than loving your parents, right? loving your parents. You shouldn't make a foolish vow, even to God, if it would keep you from showing love to your parents, because right? you can still love God without doing that. Um, so the problem, and, and here's the problem. Their bad ethic, what Jesus is saying here, is their bad ethic, by making rules the most important, it wasn't just off a little bit. Right? It wasn't just that they were a wee bit confused, right? or that, well, you know, they just wasted a lot of energy on kind of this legalistic pursuit. Jesus instead says that a wrong ethic ultimately ends in contradicting the very word of God. So you have made the word of God null and void. You have canceled it out. So it's super important that we have the right ethic, that our ethic is based on God's heart of love and relationship, uh, not on rules. Um, and and uh, Jesus, Jesus summarizes, he focuses, with this, focuses on it with this quote from Isaiah. Uh, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, 
teaching as, as doctrines, as truth from God, the commandments of men. Um, they were hypocrites. In other words, they were actors. They were pretenders. And what they were pretending was to love God, but, but they had left love far behind. right? And they had made rules, the pursuit of their life, and the means by which they would be holy. But Jesus said it's defective. Your worship is empty. It's false. It's without any merit or weight. You're not really worshiping God. In fact, uh, Jesus would say they are worshiping themselves. And their pursuit is not for God's glory and out of love for him, but was out of uh, pursuit of their own glory and self-interest. Okay, so that's one thing. And that's the first section uh, where Jesus basically uh, blasts them because they had made their traditions more important than God's word. And we kind of get that. Never should our own interpretation, our own ideas become more important than God's word. God's word should have authority and should, should rule above all of our ideas, right? But, but the next section is a little more problematic and a little more uh, hard to deal with, right? Because from here, Jesus takes it to a whole other level. And he goes on and he says, to, he, he says in verse 10 that he called the people to him. So initially, Jesus is having this debate with the Pharisees. Then it says he calls the crowd out. And now to the whole crowd, he says this. Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Now in this one statement, uh, Jesus uh, has moved away from just the traditions, and now he is talking actually about the law. He is talking now about the ten, well, the commandments, not the ten commandments, but all the commandments, uh, and especially those commandments that focus on uh, being uh, ritually clean, right? So food, things you touch, uh, coming in contact with the the dead. And now Jesus doesn't just dismiss the tradition of the elders, but he actually uh, says that the law itself is faulty. Okay? Um, Like, does that seem shocking? It should. We should be all going, (gasps) what? That's exactly what Jesus does here. He now is, is turning his focus on the law itself. And he is saying that the law itself is, is in a sense, not wrong, but inadequate. He says, look, it's not what goes into the mouth that causes problems. But the law said, yes, it is. Jesus says, no, it's not. Right? What in the world is Jesus talking about here? Uh, this, by the way, has huge ramifications for all the laws about ritual purity. In this one short sentence, Jesus changed for us the whole thing. And this, is, this, this one sentence right here is why we eat pork, right? Among a lot of other things, right? Because Jesus dismisses the whole um, code of law relating to uh, things that were unclean. He says they don't make you unclean. And in that sense, the law is off, right? Um, and it does relate to hand washing because... Uh, they thought that if I, if I got unclean by touching something or by eating something wrong, accidentally I could, I could wash it off by the ceremonial hand washing would fix it. And Jesus says, neither the law nor your solution is correct. Right? Um, so he's, he's changing the very principle of the law here. 
uh, the very scope of its regulation. Um, and he's not saying here that the law is wrong or bad. Let me get that real clear up front. Jesus is not attacking the law that the law is wrong. In fact, earlier Jesus had made it clear that he upheld every single jot and tittle, every stroke of the law. But what he's saying here is that the law is inadequate because it does not deal with the real problem. The law is inadequate because it doesn't really solve the problem. The best that the law can do, Jesus is saying, is it can point out issues. It can point to problems, but it can never solve them. I just uh, am reading an interesting book on World War II. And in World War II, um, especially in the Pacific, as uh, the Allied forces were waging war against the Japanese, uh, probably more planes crashed into the ocean than actually flew over it. And, you know, aircraft were still fairly new in those days, and, and so uh, a lot of them went into the sea. And the, the, the military always tried to find these downed aircraft. And so they would send out other bombers, actually, to search for the downed planes and downed crews. Right? And so they would cover thousands of miles of the ocean with their whole crews uh, Pierce, you know, their eyes, their vision fixed on the, the surface of the, of the ocean, trying to find a survivor or some piece of wreckage. Right? What was, was interesting is that when these bombers uh, found downed aircraft and, and people in the water, they couldn't actually do anything about it. Right? They, all they could, the best they could do is fly over and wave, right? because in the ocean they had no way to land. Right? And of course, they would, uh, they would find the location and they would uh, radio that information back to others who could send boats and other airplanes to rescue them. Well, the law is kind of like that bomber, right? It can, it can fly overhead and it can spot the problem, but it can do nothing to help you. And that's what Jesus' point here is. Because the law uh, is not a solution. It's not the cure, right? Right? Uh, so before, and we'll unpack that just a wee bit more, but before that it says the disciples came to Jesus and said to him, don't you know that you've offended the Pharisees? Now, they don't say uh, what they thought was offensive. Like I'm thinking calling them a hypocrite would be offensive, right? Uh, uh, but actually probably what was most offensive was this statement, nothing that goes into the mouth defiles, right? Because it really cut at the very heart of their whole ethical system. Jesus is saying, uh, it doesn't work. Your whole system, everything you built your life on, does not work. Right? And that would be a bit offensive. Right? <laughs> be a bit offensive. And Jesus' reply is, look, they're blind guides. Right? They are not the true teachers of Israel because they do not understand. They have the wrong ethic. They have the wrong understanding of the law. And they are like blind guides of the blind. Right? If you were blind and you wanted somebody to guide you to avoid falling into a hole or a pit, would you want a blind person leading you? <laughs> no. Right? But that's exactly what they were. Jesus said they are just as blind and clueless as the people they're trying to lead because they don't understand. Uh, but then Jesus turns back to the big question and, uh, uh, because Peter asks him, Peter says, look, we don't get this. Can you uh, explain the parable to us? And by parable, he means the statement, it's not what comes into the mouth that defiles you, but what comes out. Okay, that's the parable. It's a, it's a piece of wisdom. And Peter says, we don't get it. We don't get it. And uh, 
What was so hard about this statement, right? Uh, it's not hard. Right? What you eat does not contaminate you. It's what comes out of your mouth. The problem was not that the words were hard. The problem was that it was so radical and because it really did cut at the very core of everything they believed about what it meant to be holy. Right? That they were like, what? Are you telling us that uh, observing the law cannot make us holy? And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Keeping the law cannot make you holy. Right? It cannot be the solution to the problem. And Jesus says this, look, don't you understand, don't you see, that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled. Literally, it ends up in the toilet. I don't know why uh, Bible translators are afraid to use biblical language, but really in the Greek it says it ends up in the toilet. Okay, so you can change that in your Bible if you want. It's just more colorful and expressive, right? Um, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. This defiles the person. He says, look, the, the problem is not things external to the body. All the things in the material world that are external to the body come in contact with the body temporarily and are gone. And that was all these rules about cleanliness. You could touch something, something could touch you. You could have a, a disease on the surface of your skin. But they were all temporary things that touched the body and were gone. And even food. You could, say that, uh, you could argue that food was the most intimate because you actually brought it into your body. But the same thing, it, it's, it's there for a, a very brief period of time and then it's gone. It says those things cannot uh, contaminate you because they have real, no real moral value. Um, only do they have a moral value in an ethic of rules. Right, where it's just about keeping the rules. And if the rule is don't eat pork, you don't eat pork. If the rule is don't eat sugar, don't eat sugar. If the rule is don't eat anything you like. You know, it doesn't matter what the rule is, you just keep the rule. But in an ethic of love, it is all about relationships. Right? And Jesus said, these things have nothing to do with a relationship. Right? Imagine how this would work. Um, how, uh, how food could become integral to your relationship. Right? Imagine this. Uh, how tomatoes or carrots or a banana shake could be at the center of any deep, meaningful human relationship. I know some of you will say, yeah, but what about chocolate? <laughs> I'll let you wrestle that one out. That's a, your own ethical dilemma. Uh, imagine somebody saying, I fell in love with my wife because she ate all of her peas. Wow! Right? No, because like, Food for us has no real relationship value, right? Maybe the only ex exception to that would be durian, right? I can see somebody saying, look, I can't marry you if you eat durian. Maybe, maybe. Um, some of you who like durian are not going to be super offended at me that I said that. Um, food, those external things, right, have no relationship value, really, right? And if they did, it would not say much about your relationship. Um, so what really matters in a relationship is what? It's our heart. It's how we treat each other, how we love each other. So Jesus says, look what's in the heart. Uh, it is what comes out of the heart. Evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, bearing false witness, slander. It's interesting. Every single one of those things are from the Ten Commandments, and they all relate to how we treat each other. And it is essentially, each one of those is is a way to live selfishly without really showing love or care to the people around me. 
It's being selfish. It's caring only about me. He says, that's what's a problem. In an ethic of love, those things destroy relationships. That's what's wrong. And here's the thing. Washing your hands cannot fix that. Right? Washing your whole body cannot touch that. The law cannot fix that. What is the only cure? Well, what we, what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper, the only solution is the blood of Jesus. Jesus' own sacrifice for us uh, is the only thing that can cleanse the junk out of our heart. And, and the principle that Jesus is saying here, I believe, is this. That it is not being about being conformed to some set of external rules, but it is about being transformed and changed from the inside out. Like if you want to live by a real, uh, the highest, Jesus' ethical code, it can never be something that comes from outside of you. It has to come from deep inside you. And it has to begin with a changed heart. You have to become something very different inwardly so that you do the right things because it's who you are. Not just because you're keeping a rule or because you're following some regulation, but because it's a deep conviction based on who you are as a person. And the only way that can take place is if your heart is changed. Right? He says, out of the heart come all these selfish, self-willed things that are destructive to human relationships. What you need is not better rules or better traditions. What you need is a new heart. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do, to not only cleanse our heart, but to give us a new heart. Right? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old thing has passed away. The old person, that old heart has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Right? This is the good news for us. Our ethic is based on love, and it's based on the fact that Jesus has transformed us. He has made us into a different kind of person, right? That now has a heart that is able to really love God and love people as God created us from the beginning. Um, of course, that's not always natural or easy. Uh, there's still plenty of self in us, but there's still plenty of habits that are selfish. Uh, but the cure is not rules, right? So maybe all those missionaries who said they weren't rule followers, maybe they actually had it right, right? But it's not about living by some external rules. It's about being governed by a heart that genuinely wants to love God and love other people. And I know what the right thing is to do because the right thing is always what is loving. Right? It's what is loving. So Paul writes in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world. Which, by the way, the world loves rules. Right? The world loves to create more rules. Um, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you can prove by testing uh, and you may discern what is the will of God. Right? What is the right thing? Right? Um, Yeah, are we committed to being changed, right? to being different people, to 
We're living our life out of a heart that's been touched by God's grace. And here's the thing that will probably change us more than anything, is knowing how much God loved us. What Jesus did to show his love for us. And Jesus says, you live that way toward each other. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you that you uh, were the supreme and uh, highest picture of what love is. And you always loved. You loved perfectly. And it was your love that, that moved you. It was your compassion that led you to, to heal the crowds even when they really weren't listening to your message. And yet you still loved them. Uh, and Lord, you even loved these Pharisees. And, and you, uh, you spoke to them truth that was hard to hear. But you wanted them to, to live differently. And Lord, we thank you most of all that where the law failed, the cross does not fail. Um, where the law can only point us to our our mistakes and our faults, uh, it is the cross that rescues us, that pulls us out of the ocean of our sin and of judgment and God's wrath and gives us grace and forgiveness and new life in Christ. Lord, may we be people who, uh, who love, not because it's a rule, but because it's who you have made us to be in Christ. And Lord, may we be diligently changing the way we think by renewing our mind by Scripture and by a deeper understanding of your great love for us. Lord, we ask and pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.com dot o r g